We're going to be reading 2 Peter. 2 Peter 1, 1 to 11. So turn there if you like. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, in your faith supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble." For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Pray that you will help us to hear it and apply it to our hearts. Pray that you'll be with the meditation in all of our hearts as we hear it. Give us understanding. Um, Help me to speak it faithfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this is a long passage. I'm sure we'll be able to get through it in is it two hours, Paul. Is that what you said? Um, so first of all, this is, this is Peter. A few verses after what I read, he goes, on to say, he goes on to say he's at the end of his life. He says, I'm about to lay aside my earthly, my earthly dwelling, my body. Um, so think of Peter when you read this. Think of Peter and his zeal. Think of Peter and his cowardice, his betrayal of the Lord, the way that he repented. Think of Peter being given the promise, you're the rock, I'm going to build my church on you. Think of the way that Peter grew. He's at the end of his life, he's an old man, and he was the rock. He was stable. When you, when you read this, think, think of how he's encouraging you no matter what you've done in the past and how much of a coward you may have been for the cause of Christ or how weak, he's encouraging you. You can be stable too. You can be diligent in the faith. So that's Peter, a slave, a bondservant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. To those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, the same kind as ours, so the apostles, the same kind as the apostles, So that's the question of this letter. Is it written to you? Um, Do you have the same kind of faith? Do you have an actual living faith in Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Good. Then this letter is for you. Yeah. Well, if you know the answer to that question, that's great. 
And one of the reasons Peter is writing is so that you can make sure that you know that you belong to Jesus, so you don't doubt it. Okay, so this is written to real believers. And so they've, they've received a faith by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, you've received a faith. You didn't figure it out because you're smart. God, if you believe in Jesus, if you have a real faith, God gave it to you. It's a gift, like every good thing that we have. And all of us start there. We start by being given faith. Being given something we weren't going to get on our own. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. There are a lot of blessings in the Bible, right? Grace and peace. Grace and peace. That's a, that's a blessing you hear a lot. Is this blessing like the kinds of blessings we give each other? Have a nice day. Good night. Well, not exactly. We can throw those off pretty easy, right? I can tell you to have a nice day. When Peter gives a blessing, it's, it's serious. It has a lot of weight. He says grace and peace. Well, he means it. He wants you to have more grace and peace. He's not just being nice the way that we're nice. And the grace and peace, a lot of it is going to come through his letter. He's writing so that you can have more grace and peace. So think of that whenever you read a blessing in the Bible. It's meant to give you something real. It's not have a nice day. Grace and peace. And how is the grace and peace going to come? Grace and peace be multiplied to you. That means a lot of it, right? It's the difference between addition and multiplication. Think of Jesus multiplying the bread. Suddenly, you just have a little bit of bread, just a little bit of grace and peace, and then you have a lot of it. Peter wants you to have a lot of it. He wants multiplication. He wants a bunch of grace and peace. And it's going to come through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So I know Paul Ogenen. I know a lot of you, but I know Paul. I stayed with him last night. And... Um, I don't, I don't just know that Paul is a little taller than me, which is pretty easy to do, by the way. Um, I just, I don't know just that Paul wears glasses. I know Paul personally. I know Paul personally. Do you know Jesus personally? That's the question. You know God. You know Jesus. You actually know him. Um, you don't just know a collection of facts about religion. You don't just know Bible stories. If you're a real Christian, you know Jesus personally, even if you're a new Christian and you haven't even read through the whole Bible. You know Jesus. Um, and he wants grace and peace to come to you even more through knowing God more, knowing Jesus more, developing your relationship with him. And you can tell that's what he means because he goes on to say that God's divine power has given us everything we need to live and to be godly how? Through the true knowledge of him who called us. So the reason you're a Christian, the reason you have what you need to live and honor God, is because God has given you that in a personal relationship with him. It started there, 
And if you're going to have any more grace and peace, it's going to happen the same way. You're going to have to know Jesus better for that to increase. And it's through the true knowledge, it's, it's through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Whenever you see a his or a him, you think, well, who is he? Who's the his? Who's the him? Um, Peter's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about God. He's talking about Jesus. I'm just going to tell you, based on the way Peter keeps going in the letter, we're talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one who called us by his own glory and excellence because who is it that reveals the glory of God to us? Who is the image and glory of God? How do we see God by faith? We look at Jesus and we see God. And we see, we see what? I, I met a man at um, Lowe's the other day. He was buying drywall. And he was very, he's one of those very friendly guys. You can just tell by the way he looks around. It's kind of like Paul here. You can just tell if I give that guy, if like if I look him in the eye, he's going to say something friendly to me and he's going to try to have a conversation. <laughs> and I, I love that kind of thing. That's great. I'm, I'm in Lowe's. I'm just thinking of buying what I'm buying and I'm like, oh boy, this guy. We could have a conversation. I can just tell. Like I could probably share the gospel with him. I'm really busy. Um, but he, sure enough, you know, I give him the time of day. He makes a comment to me. That's just the kind of guy he is. As he's buying something, he just makes a comment to whoever's walking by, right? You know people like that. And I say, and I comment back. I say, yep, yep, yep. And then we start talking, and it turns out he's a very religious person. And he's very willing to talk with me about all kinds of religious things. turns out he's a Buddhist and a Buddhist is someone who follows um, the teachings of Buddha. And Buddha says all kinds of things that are wrong and evil. <laughs> um, Buddha, serving Buddha, if you serve Buddha, you don't serve Jesus. You serve a different God. But this guy does n- did not like to think of it that way. What he liked to think of was, when I started talking to him about Jesus, he would be as quick as he could to say, oh yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. Yeah, when Jesus said that, I, I like that. Um, and I'd say, well, Jesus is, he's the only way. That's what he said. And he'd say, well, well, this is how he would kind of move. Well, he was very intense. Well, I, that's kind of a, we disagree about the interpretation of that Bible passage. <laughs> you know, we don't both, we don't agree that Jesus is the only way. But, but yeah, I like what you're saying. And, you know, I think we agree. And I, and I would keep trying to tell him, no, we don't agree. <laughs> we don't agree. Um, when he saw Jesus, and when he read about Jesus, because he had read the Bible a decent amount. When he read the Bible, what do you think he saw? Did he see the glory and excellence of Jesus Christ? Because it says that Jesus called us. He said, hey, you, I love you. You come follow me. He calls us by his glory and excellence. And that can be a weird phrase. When I read it, I thought, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus calls me by his glory and excellence? Through his glory and excellence. Well, think again that when you see Jesus as a Christian, you don't see a collection of religious facts. You don't see some good morals. Hey, I can worship Buddha 
And I can also follow the teachings of Jesus. And I can take something from every religion, and that's okay. And I don't have to follow only Jesus. Jesus said some things I really like. And he said some things I really didn't like. And this guy that I talked to in Lowe's, he would tell me, I wish we could just cut out the whole Old Testament. (laughs) But he still wanted to think that in some sense, he and I were the same thing. Um, Well, when you come to Jesus, you know that you don't get to pick and choose. Jesus is the boss. Jesus is God and you're not. You don't get to tell him, I don't appreciate that stuff you said about the fires of hell. I don't like to think about hell. And, but I like it when you talk about love. And you can meet people all over who are very willing to take the parts of Jesus that they like or that they think they like, because really, most of the time, they only think they like even the things they bring up to you. They don't know what they really mean. When this man thinks of Jesus, he does not see Jesus' glory When you see Jesus' glory, do you think that you talk back to him? If someone, if your dad is in charge of you, do you get to talk back to him? You kids know the answer. Do you get to talk back to your parents? Do you? No, you don't get to. When you see Jesus' glory, you bow to him. You bow to Jesus and you say, my Lord and my God. When you see His excellence and His perfection, when you see everything that He's done for you in His life, and when you see that He died for you, He loved you enough to die for you on the cross, you bow to Him. You don't talk back to Him. You don't act like this man did. This man did not know Jesus. But he wanted to say, oh yeah, yeah, I believe in Jesus. We know, we know Jesus' glory and excellence. And that's the way that we became his followers is because he showed that to us and we bowed. All right. Peter keeps going and really this is just one big sentence and often when we translate from Greek to English we like to split up the sentence because it's too long. And we're not used to going through one giant sentence with so many parts. But it helps us to split up the sentence so we can think about each part, right? So, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this more as it is, and you can kind of feel it. Peter just keeps going in a big torrent. Okay, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, just as His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, through the true knowledge of him who called us, through his own glory and excellence, through which he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust, through one thing and through another and through another and through another. Um, But all that's going on here is that he's reminding you, starts with the knowledge of God, Jesus calls you, through his glory and excellence, so you know his glory and excellence, and when you, when you bow before him and when you see his glory and excellence, you get the promises. You actually know Jesus, and you get Jesus' promises, and they become yours to hold on to. And when you hold on to the promises, you can follow Jesus and act like him, 
and you can live like him. You can become a partaker of the divine nature. And you, when you have Jesus' promises, Jesus pulls you out of the world and all of the evil things that are going on in the world. Um, does that make sense? Are you tracking with me? Okay. It's easy to, be, to lose your place in these two verses. I know because I was preparing a sermon on this and I was constantly thinking, wait, what, what is he actually saying? <laughs> this, this, this has a lot of little parts to it. Jesus is giving you the promises. When you know him, you have the promises. All right. Now, what are the promises of Jesus? Some of you kids should know. But I want to I wanna know from one of you, what's one of the promises of Jesus? Do you know? What's one of his promises? Faith, do you know? Ben, sorry. You look like Tate Bailey. You're Ben. Oh, that's my name. Do you know what's a promise of Jesus? Okay, what about, what about forgiveness of your sins? Is that a promise? Okay, what about, what about going to heaven when you die? Yeah? What about after you die, are you going to get a new body? You know. What's it called when you get a new body from Jesus? Some of you know. All right. Well, you don't have to answer, but you know. It's the resurrection. Jesus gives you a new body. It's the resurrection from the dead. There's a lot of promises in the Bible. Um, there's the promise, one of the earliest promises to Abraham. And everyone who walked in the faith of Abraham is that God will be your God and he'll live with you. God will be your God and a God to your children. Another promise is that you'll be a blessing to all the nations. That's a promise made to Abraham. Christians, you know some missionaries, right? In other countries, they go to Africa, they go to South America, they go to China. They live lives that are often very dangerous. They don't maybe have the best food to eat, like you do. But they do that because they want to be a blessing to the nations. They know that's a promise of God. I get to go be a blessing to other people in other countries. I get to love them. I get to tell them about Jesus. That's a promise. And the promises of God are actually the main thing you hold on to. I'm holding on to a rope here, right? The rope is the promises of God. If you want to know Jesus better, if you want to follow him, if you want to obey him, you can't do it if you're not holding on to the promises of God. So think of the way that you have the promises of God now. You don't have them just in the sense that one day you're going to be happy. One day... Everything is going to be all right. That's, that's true. One day you'll dwell with God, and one day you'll be resurrected. Um, but what do you have from God right now? You have forgiveness. You have the forgiveness of your sins. You have the Holy Spirit of God living inside your heart. You have the body of Christ. You have a new family. 
What else do you have? You can go and share the gospel with other people you don't know. You could go into Lowe's and find out you're having a conversation with someone who's willing to talk to you, and you can share Jesus with them. You could go to another country. This is all because you actually have the promises of God. But all that you have is a little bit of what you will have, like a deposit. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you and cries out for what's coming, which is the resurrection from the dead, which is the restoration of all things, all creation. When the trees in your yard won't get rotten anymore and fall over. And when the flowers won't die. When your pets won't die. When people you love won't get sick and die. All of those things are what you're looking forward to in Jesus. Those are the promises. And there are other, there are other promises. And there are other ways we could, we could think that God has blessed us and made us happy that we take for granted. For years and years, I was a Christian. I grew up in a Christian home. And I would go to church, just like you, and I would sit with other people in church, and I didn't care about them. And I didn't respect them. I had friends in church, and I liked those friends. But the rest of the people in church didn't mean much to me. When I lived out in Washington State, God started changing my heart. I went to a church where I was shown a lot of love, and I started to realize that one of the biggest blessings of being a Christian is that God's people are all around me, and that in God's people, God has put beautiful things. Beautiful things. Is anyone here ever kind to you? Did they ever forgive you? Did they ever put up with you? Right? Do they ever have you over for dinner? Um, you have a worship team of good musicians. It's easy to take that for granted. You have shepherds who love you and preach to you and care for you and they counsel you about the things that are the darkest and most evil that you've done. And they'll care for you at those times. And you can, you can ignore all of those things. You can, you can see them and you cannot care. But God put all those people around you. He put His Spirit in them. And you know God better when you know and love your brothers and sisters in the faith, right? These are all ways that we take for granted God's promises. It's really easy to do. And you can't. You can't. Because the promises are what? So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature. God insists. You want to be a better Christian, you start with my gifts to you. You start with my promises and you don't take them for granted. You appreciate what I've given you and you think of what's coming in the future and you think, I want that. I want to be part of God's kingdom and I'm going to fight. Because the rest of a big part of this passage we're reading is a big list of stuff you have to do. It's a big list of things that you have to add one to another, and it's not easy to add any of them one to another. It's, it's not simple. It's not simple to follow Jesus. It's hard work. You need the right motivation, and you need the right heart for that kind of work, and you can't have it if you're not looking at God's promises. Right? 
Another thing you might take for granted is that you've escaped the corruption that's in the world by lust. And to understand the blessing that it is and how you can take it for granted, you could think of Judas Iscariot. You could think of Judas knowing Jesus personally. Judas got Jesus' affection. He was one of the disciples. He got to be with the disciples. He got to go out and do miracles by the Spirit of God. He got to say to people, the kingdom of God is here. Did Judas care? Was, did Judas's heart belong to Jesus? Did Judas care that Jesus was there to pull him out of sin? And that in a lot of ways, Judas, while he was with Jesus, had been pulled out of sin. You can think of people who come to church but then leave it and say, I don't believe in God anymore. I don't like Jesus. I'm not going to follow him. I know people like that. You probably know people like that. That's something else that we can take for granted, is that God has actually pulled us out of the world and its corruption. And the corruption of the world is easy to see. It's all around us. It's easy to know the ways that we still give in to the corruption in our own hearts. And it's easy to think of Christian leaders who have fallen into corruption and been put to shame before before a lot of people around us. On a big stage, they were up there, and we all saw them, and they fell back into corruption. So when you think of what Jesus has done for you, remember that he's pulled you out of your sin. He's pulled you out of the sin of the world around you. And that's wonderful. All right. Now Peter gets to his list. He gets to his list of things for you to work on. He says, now for this very reason also, well, what reason? Everything I just said to you, everything that Peter just said, the promises, what God has done for you, the way he's pulled you out of corruption, the way that he's brought you to know Jesus. Okay, put those things in your mind and now apply all diligence, diligence, diligence. Well, we'll come back to diligence. In your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. All right, we confessed our sins this morning, um, and we, we talked about God's mercy and the way that it changes our heart, because we receive the mercy of God for our sins. And if, you're, if you love Jesus, then you know your sin. And every one of these things you've sinned in, probably this morning, your faith, your moral excellence. Moral excellence is like doing good things, the way that God commands. Do you do good things? Did you control yourself? Well, this week, there were probably several days where I was not a glutton. So sometimes, I guess I controlled myself. I have a fast metabolism, so no one ever knows, but I can be a real glutton. Um, And let's see. Perseverance. Well, I kind of, I did some things okay. I think I read my Bible every day. But hold on. Faith. Let's see. Faith. This morning when I was coming and thinking, I'm going to preach this morning. Do you think my faith was wavering a little? (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Maybe I won't be able to do it. Maybe my mind will go blank. And even though God 
has given me the opportunity to be with you guys and preach, he won't be with me <laughs> when I stand up here. You think my faith wavered? Yeah, kind of wavered. Okay, so I'm not doing that hot on faith. Maybe you're not either. Moral excellence, well, I did, I, I obeyed the Lord some of the time this week. Okay, I'm not doing that well on moral excellence. I'm not doing that well on self-control. I'm not doing that. You can go through these things. And when you get to love, forget it, right? How well have you loved people this week? How well have you loved them? You want to feel this list because it exposes us. Every single one of these things, remember, he's saying to build them one on the other, right? Think of climbing a ladder. When you climb up the ladder, the first thing you step on is faith. Then you grab the next thing, and that's practice good deeds. And you grab the next thing, and that's now you need to begin to understand more about the Bible, what it means to be a Christian, good doctrine. Okay, you grab the next thing, and that's control yourself. Control yourself. You grab the next thing, and it's perseverance. You need to control yourself all the time. All the time, not just once or twice a day. Okay, that's the next thing. And you keep climbing. How are you supposed to climb this ladder when you can't even stand on the first rung of the ladder, which is faith, right? How are you supposed to do this? Well, here's this giant list of things. There are eight things and we're failing at all of them. We just are. So you got to feel it. you got to feel the way that Peter is pushing this on you. Is Peter under some illusions about you? Did Peter know his own sin? I think he knew his own sin. I think he knew your sin when he gave you these eight things that are all very hard to do. But he starts by saying, be sure that you're diligent about this stuff. Well, I've, I've already failed at all of them, Peter. So you're going to tell me not just to do them, but you're going to keep pushing me. Hey, be really diligent about this stuff. Well, how are you supposed to do that? Well, diligence is a, is a big clue. What's diligence? If you're going to approach something, if I decide to approach the schoolwork I have, the reading and writing with diligence, which I often don't, I'm the kind of guy who's, Last minute, um, while he's in the car going to Pastors College, I'm at a stoplight, and I have one of my books open, and whenever I'm at a stoplight, reading the text, trying to finish before class. That's my idea of diligence. It's not really. Diligence isn't that, right? if If I were diligent in my heart, sorry, I would, I would have that done at least by 1 a.m. the night before. I would have that done by Thursday instead of early Friday morning. If I were diligent, I wouldn't try to put off what God has given me to do. But you all know what it's like to not want to do something your parents say. You want to wait till the very last minute to obey your parents. Okay, clean your room. Clean your room in an hour. Okay, five minutes before the hour is about to end. There you are, cleaning your room. Maybe that's the way you do it. But we all have ways we're not diligent. So if you understand that diligence, it's in your heart. Diligence is you saying to God, okay, you're going to give me a big list of things that are hard to do as a Christian. All right, Lord, 
I will bow to you. Remember, you bow to Jesus' glory. This is Jesus giving us instructions, and you just have to bow to him. And if you have an attitude of diligence, you can look at this list and just kind of laugh at yourself. You know how you've already screwed up every one of these things this morning, like I said. That's not hard to know. But if your attitude is diligence, you're not going to be taken away by the flood, right? You're not going to just feel crushed because of your sin. Some of you have more, a more tender conscience than others. Some of you can look at a list like this and just think, forget it. The other way to deal with a list like this is just to look at it and say, that's impossible. I'm not going to try to think about that too much. <laughs> um, but here's Peter laying into you. He's giving you something he wants to pay attention to, and you have to. So you have to bow to Jesus when he gives you a list like this. And you have to take it seriously. And you have to decide you're going to love it. You have to decide ahead of time, I will be diligent I won't try to resist it. And if I'm guilty of all these things, which I am, I'll come to Jesus for mercy. And if I'm really ashamed, some of you are more prone to shame than others when you think of your past sins. Once, when I was a teenager, I I went through a period of very serious depression. I was very sad, and I thought, I'm not a Christian, I'm going to hell. My parents were separated. That probably had something to do with it. Um, So they weren't getting along. Later they would get a divorce. Um, And that's a very awful thing to go through if any of you have gone through that. Um, But I was thinking of my sin a lot. And I thought of my sin, and I read some warnings in the Bible. If I had read this passage then, I would have had the same reaction I had to other warnings in the Bible where it says, you have to obey or God will not accept you. He will not accept you if you disobey him. And when I, when I read those warnings, I thought, that's it. I'm going to hell. I'm damned. Um, and so I gave up. I just cried. I couldn't, I couldn't handle anything in my life. Um, this sounds really melodramatic and dumb, but it's true. I, I curled up on the floor of the bathroom in our house and just cried, like in a fetal position, right? Like a baby, just crying. Now, my question is, that can look a lot like humility, right? It can look like, oh, Ben, he was crying on the floor of the bathroom because he was so sad that he had sinned against God. He was so sad that he hadn't been obeying God. Now, was that true? Nope. That wasn't true. The reason I despaired and said, I, I can't, I'm not a Christian and I can't be, is because I didn't want to be humble. I didn't want to obey Jesus. I just wanted to feel sorry for myself. Like you do when your parents tell you you did something wrong and you feel ashamed and you feel sad and it makes you cry, but some of your tears aren't because you did something wrong. They're because you don't like 
to have to see that you did something wrong and you disobeyed and you don't want to have to obey and so you cry. Does that make sense? You cry because you don't really want to have to change what you're doing. We can be like that and we can, we can come to God's commands and say, I don't want to do this. <laughs> I feel awful about it. <laughs> I feel awful about my failures and I don't want to have to deal with it. So I'm just going to feel like maybe I'm not really a Christian at all. But God isn't giving you these things to trap you. God's giving you these things so you can say, all right, God, you have my number. You know I haven't been faithful. I haven't loved people. I haven't been self-controlled. All right, it's okay. I'm sorry. I want to repent, and I want to obey you. I want to obey my parents. I don't want to just feel bad for myself. I don't want to just cry and feel terrible. I want to do what God says. That's a different attitude. It's not the attitude I had. And I know it's not the attitude I had because even after I stopped feeling so bad and I started thinking, okay, you know what? Maybe I'm not going to hell after all. I didn't change. I didn't repent. (laughs) I wasn't interested in repenting. I felt awful. I was terrified that God would judge me the way he promises he will if we don't obey him, but I did not change. Not for years. It took a long time. And God is very kind to soften our hearts so that when he says, I want you to obey me in these eight things and I want you to climb, I want you to trust me and climb, he'll soften our hearts so that we're willing to say, okay, I will. Let's go through these quickly. This is not just a list of different things you have to do. They do actually build, like I was saying, like a ladder. It's like one thing on top of the other, okay? So you start with faith. Okay, you believe in Jesus, that's faith. That's easy. Why Why wouldn't we start with faith? Why wouldn't we end with love? Love is every good thing. So you understand why he starts with faith and why he ends with love, but what about all this stuff in between? Well, when you're when you're a new Christian, when you come to faith... Sometimes when you wake up in the morning and you just think, okay, help me, to, help me to trust you today, God. When you wake up in the morning, you think that, okay, that's faith right there. And then you, you just try to do some things that he has commanded you to do. Moral excellence just means you just try to obey him. Um, you can see, if you have the pleasure of knowing newer Christians, you know their zeal sometimes. They'll just see something in the Bible and they'll just start trying to do it. It's great. Now, they don't always know what they're doing, <laughs> and sometimes they're, they're a little obnoxious. But you don't want to stop them because they love Jesus, they trust him, and they're just going to go ahead and do it. Share the gospel. I'm just going to talk with everyone. Like, ah, you're making me nervous. You're going to try to drag me into this and make me talk to everyone too, aren't you? Yeah, you should. Uh, one of the guys who lives at Bob's house with me, I work um, for a man named Bob Kaplowitz who has cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair. He can't move his arms or legs, can't do anything for himself, so we take care of him. And I live with some other guys. One of the guys is a newer Christian, and he's like this. I mean, he's growing, but he's still like this. He'll just, he'll have an idea of what God has commanded in the Bible, and off he goes. It's just like, ah. Um, it's a, it can be unnerving because it shows me up. and I don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it when someone else has more zeal than I do. Um, so praise God for Daniel, my friend Daniel. Um, okay, one thing Daniel is learning as he grows as a Christian is knowledge, right? Knowledge is the next thing on the list. Um, 
But would he be able to understand more doctrine, do you think? Would he be able to understand what the Bible means and how he's supposed to obey God if he wasn't trying to obey God already? I say, no. We don't have the the luxury. We don't get to wait until we understand everything God wants and why. And why it's really okay to talk to people this way or to say um, homosexuality is a sin. We We don't get to wait until we think we know why God says everything he says before we start obeying him. You can find the opposite thing all over the Bible. You obey God, and as you obey God, you actually become able to understand why he told you to do things. It's like when your parents tell you, clean the dishes. You're going you're gonna to load the dishwasher tonight. I hope some of your parents tell you that. You don't get to say, why? Why should I? <laughs> because usually when you're asking why right then, you're not asking to understand, huh, what is the reason that my parents have me do this? Of course, I'm very willing to unload the dishwasher. I'm willing to do anything they want me to do, but I'm just curious, right? What you want to know is, well, you're not really asking a question when you say why. What What you're saying is, I don't like it. I don't think it's fair that you want me to unload the dishwasher. That's what you're saying. And so your parents say, because I said so, that's why. And you say, okay. (laughs) Or you get a spanking, and then you say, okay. (laughs) And that's how God deals with us a lot of the time. A lot of the time when you're stuck in your Christian life and you're not growing, it's because you're like that little kid. The adults... We adults, we're like that little kid. Well, why? Why do I have to do this? And God just puts us in our place. Because I said so. If you actually want to understand why you're unloading the, unloading the dishwasher, why don't you unload the dishwasher for a year or two? And then we'll talk about, maybe then you'll come to understand why I've always had you do it, and you'll appreciate it. <clears throat> right? Okay. Faith, moral excellence, knowledge. And then we get to self-control. Self-control is not just doing good things for other people in the church or for your family. It's not just being kind. It's not just sharing the gospel. Self-control is being able to deal with your own self when you're angry, when you want too much to eat, when your heart lusts, after other women who aren't your wife. Um, Self-control is being able to deal with yourself and to say, no, no, I won't. No, no, I will obey God. Self-control, I keep doing this. I think it's because I'm thinking of water skiing or something. You know, in water skiing, you have to hold on. And you have to control your knees, because if you straighten them, you're going to smash the water. You have to control yourself, right? Go water skiing. You tell your body what to do, and it obeys. Self-control is you tell your mind, you tell your spirit what to do, and it obeys, and you have to practice that. And it's not just acts of kindness. Okay, then perseverance, that's pretty easy. You don't get to be self-controlled in some areas and not others. You don't get to be self-controlled five days of the week, but when you get to Saturday, ah, it's time to let it all go and just indulge a little bit more than I should or just be a little bit more foolish with where I put my eyes when I'm walking through the grocery aisle and there's a magazine with a half-naked woman on the front and what magazine in the grocery aisle doesn't have a half-naked woman on front? 
Well, I don't know. Well, it doesn't take much loss of self-control to sort of just allow yourself a few glances. But perseverance says, I'm exhausted. I just want to get my groceries. I just want a little pleasure in something. I just want to let my eyes wander over here, but I'm not going to let my eyes wander over here. Perseverance is for the times when you don't feel like it. You don't feel like obeying, but you need to obey. And you don't want to believe that you even can obey God. Because a lot of the times our excuse is, there's too many pressures. (laughs) And plus, I sinned this way yesterday and I'm still ashamed of it. And life is really hard. And I had an argument with my brother, and he was mean. Or for you married people, I had an argument with my wife or my husband. It didn't go very well, and I'm going to have to deal with that, and I'm just exhausted. And controlling myself just seems like an unfair burden right now. I don't want to have to control myself right now. This has been a hard day. And I don't even feel like God is with me, honestly. It's easy to feel like God isn't with you when you've had a bad day or when you've sinned, isn't it? It's easy. Perseverance says, nope, you have to hold on to the rope, you have to water ski, when you're very tired, you're not allowed to face plant just because you feel sorry for yourself, you keep going. Okay, perseverance, and then godliness, well that's kind of weird, isn't it, because isn't everything in this list already godliness, why does sin plus, isn't everything, godliness, isn't that just love, why don't you just You're already going to say love, so why do you need to say godliness, Peter? Ever think about that when you read this list? Like, why is godliness stuck in the middle here? Godliness is just doing everything that God wants. So that's the whole list already. Well, think of it this way. Godliness is when you have a mindset, I'll do everything you want, God. Godliness is a way of looking at the world, a way of looking at the whole world that says the world belongs to God, I belong to God, I'm committed to God. It's like having the right kind of glasses on to look at the world, okay? You look at the world in a way that's godly. You look at the world in a way that's committed from the heart to doing what God wants. And then godliness, and then you get to brotherly kindness. Or it could be, we could say brotherly love. We could say brotherly affection. All those things are kind of in there. That's more what I was talking about with the church. We take each other for granted here. You take each other for granted in this body, I know, because you're just like every body of believers and you're just like me. Um, But brotherly kindness says, I will prize, I'll value the fellowship of believers. I'll love the people I have in my church. I won't take them for granted. Um, I'll be kind. I'll have affection for people that sometimes I don't really like, but I want to like them. I want to do what God calls me to do. And something else, we were talking about this at Paul's, Paul Ogenen's house last night, um, and someone in his group of friends brought up that we need each other if we're going to be godly. And that's very true. Your brotherly kindness is you helping other people to be godly. They're here. They can't do this on their own, and you certainly can't do it on your own. (laughs) If you know yourself at all, you know that. You need each other. If you're going to be godly, you have to have each other. You have to encourage each other, and you have to say hard things to each other. And if you don't think about the brotherly love, then you're not going to be able to do that. And then you have love, and love is everything. Love is the whole law of God. Love is 
Everything in this whole list and more. Love is a whole way of living your life. For everything you do is guided by the Spirit of God. So it's obvious why he wants to end the list with love. Okay, then what does he say? For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful. So remember the fig tree again. We talked about the fig tree. Pastor Belcher prayed about the fig tree. What was the fig tree's problem? It didn't have any fruit. That's why Jesus cursed it. Oh, you don't have any fruit. Well, you're done. You're done. Your chance is gone to bear fruit. And whenever you read about fruit in the Bible and what God expects of you, the way he expects you to be a fruitful Christian, you remember that there's a warning in it. He says, don't be useless to Jesus. Don't be unfruitful. Bear fruit. And he keeps repeating the same idea too. You're useless or you're fruitless or you're a useful and fruitful Christian in the knowledge of Jesus. So everything keeps coming back to your relationship with Jesus, what you know of him, how you came to know him, how you know Jesus personally. And what you do with that relationship, whether or not you bow to Jesus, that's the way that you're fruitful or fruitless. And he says... If you lack these qualities, you're blind or you're short-sighted. You're blind or you're short-sighted. Short-sighted. Why? Because you've forgotten your purification from your former sins. This is something like we talked about. When you're saved out of the world and the evil of the world, and when you're given every promise of God, one of which is the forgiveness of your sins, they're washed away. Sometimes you don't think about that. And you're not grateful to God that he forgave you. You just think, of course God forgives me. It's just what God does. It's like God's job. is you bring, you bring him your sins and he forgives you. But it's not God's job to forgive you. That's a gift. God is very kind and gracious to us when he forgives us. And if you're not thinking about your purification from your sins, the way that God washed you clean, the way that he washed your sins away, then it's, it's easy to not care about obeying Jesus. And it's easy to be fruitless. This is a simple thing to do, and I know how to do it every day. And you know how to do it every day. You know how to forget about what God has done for you in forgiving your sins and not to have fruit. So this is a warning. Don't be like a blind person who looks at Jesus' glory And then suddenly it's like they don't see it anymore. and They don't see God's glory and God's kindness. They're just blind. And they say, ah, today is not a good day for being really self-controlled and obeying God. What we're called to is to look at Jesus' glory and not look away from it. We have to hold him in our hearts. All right. We're coming to the end. And we're coming to some stuff that always makes me uncomfortable. And it's, it's supposed to. So therefore, brethren, my brothers, be all the more diligent. There's that word again. You have to be diligent, right? It's repeating himself. Be all the more diligent to make certain about what? About his calling and choosing you. If you know Jesus... 
If this letter is really written to you because you know Jesus and you have a relationship with him, you want to make certain about that. Um, There are days we don't feel like we know Jesus. There are days you don't feel encouraged because you don't feel a sense of God's presence. There are days you do feel a sense of God's presence and you have extra joy on those days, right? And then there are days when you think, I do not feel like a spiritual person at all. I just feel gross or I'm discouraged. Where is God right now? Well, God is with us in the worst times we have. In the worst times we have. In the times when we have the most sin on our minds and in the times when we're most discouraged. And it's important to remember that, but it's not always easy to know that. And one of the ways that the Bible gives us to know is not just you look inside your heart and you try to look really hard and you say, am I really a Christian? I'm kind of introspective. I'm really introspective. And so I find it very easy to do that. And if you, if you ever do that, you know that you can look into your belly button and you can keep putting your head in there. You can do that for hours and you can have almost no comfort from putting your head inside your belly button. You... You, you might not know after you've done that if you're a Christian or not, if that's what you, how you're trying to figure it out. Um, the Bible does tell us to examine ourselves um, and see if we have faith. But it doesn't tell us to just stick our head in our belly button and keep looking for the right signs of God's Spirit or for the right feelings about God because we'd always, we don't always have the right feelings about God. So we need another way of knowing wait a minute, do I belong to God? <laughs> is God with me right now when I don't feel like he's with me? Okay, how do you know? You want to make certain, so this isn't a vague feeling. I have a Roman Catholic friend, and if you ask any Roman Catholic who knows basic doctrine, as they teach it, they'll tell you, if you ask them, hey, can you know that you belong to Jesus Christ? And can you know that you're saved? What will they say to you? Well, I think I belong to Jesus. But I don't think that you can know. You can't know if God loves you. And you can't know if you're going to heaven instead of hell. And that's just... When I asked my friend and he said this, he didn't say it with sadness. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't say it with any, with any fear of God and his voice. He just said it matter-of-factly with a shrug. I don't think you can know. I don't think you can know. You don't think I can know if I'm going to heaven or hell? (laughs) You don't think that's something you really want to look into and pray about and be on your knees about? Now, to be fair, I don't think this particular friend, who I've talked with a lot, has any real faith. Um, And a more sincere Roman Catholic might approach this with a little more fear and trembling because they know (laughs) it's pretty important whether you go to heaven or hell. But this friend shrugs it all off. But that's how they think of it. I don't know. I don't know that you can know. Peter says the opposite. God's word says the opposite. Make certain. Make certain. Who are you? Are you called and chosen by God? Did God make himself known to you or not? The rest of this book, the whole book of Second Peter, starts focusing on how inside the church there's false prophets, there's false Christians, there are people who mock and scoff, and you have to be ready for them to come up in your church. You have to be discerning. You have to know how to tell apart 
real Christians from false ones, and you have to know how to stand firm against them. Um, Joseph preached through the book of Jude, I know, because I looked through the sermon archives for your church. And the book of Jude and Second Peter overlap a lot. Almost, they say almost the same thing in a lot of parts. And Jude is all about what? Contend for the faith. False prophets are going to come up. Contend for the faith. Be ready. You should know ahead of time what it's going to be like inside the church. The people you love and trust are not always going to turn out to be the people who really love Jesus, and that's just how the church works, and God warns us ahead of time. Um, So we need to know who we are. Well, the way that Peter gives us to make certain about who we are as Christians is, for as long as you practice these things you will never stumble. For in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be abundantly supplied to you. So he's telling you to practice these things so you can make certain about who you are as a Christian. That's a lot of different motivations. To be godly, to be morally excellent, to have faith, to love your brother, to love everyone around you, um, to increase your knowledge of the Bible. It's a lot of different motivations. God has given you promises. Think about what's coming. You're a Christian. You don't always feel like you are, so you need to make sure that you are. So practice these things so that you can know who you are. So that you'll have confidence. You'll have assurance. We all want assurance, but I don't... I don't think that you like the idea that one of the main ways God wants you to have assurance is by working really hard to be godly. Wouldn't you rather just have assurance by feeling a connection with God every day? As soon as you wake up, you feel, God loves me, and then you're okay. Wouldn't you rather just have that be your experience? One day that will be our experience. Because we won't be trapped by our sins. We won't be trapped in bodies that are failing and hurting. Um, And we won't have the misery of this world to go through. And it's a lot of misery. But right now, that's not how God wants it to work. He doesn't choose to give you the same kind of comfort every day. You don't get to have a wonderful spiritual experience every time you wake up. Sometimes you wake up and you feel awful. This is how you have to make certain of who you are. You have to practice godliness whether or not you feel like it. You have to have that as an attitude of your heart. As long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. You'll never stumble. You'll never fall. The word is either thing. You don't want to fall on your face and sin. Practice these things. Give your heart to God and say, Okay, I love your law. I love what you command me to do, and I want to do it. And if you have that attitude of heart, God keeps you back from awful sin. That's how he works with us. If you don't have that attitude of heart, sorry, no guarantees. The attitude of heart God demands of us is, I love your law. I wrote out, I typed out, I copied, pasted, One of part of Psalm 119 
If you want to get more of the attitude that Peter is getting at here and that he's commanding you to have, spend some time in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is the way that someone who loves God and who loves God's promises and has a heart that is set on eternity and the things that matter. It's how a man with that kind of heart thinks about what God commands him to do, like all of these commands we just read. This is just one part of the longest psalm in the Bible, and they're all variations on this theme. I love what God commands me to do. How blessed are those whose ways whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe his testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do know unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. You have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that's funny. It's the same word. It's probably a coincidence. We should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. Then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I shall keep your statutes. Do not forsake me utterly. And that's not often our attitude towards what God commands. It doesn't make us happy that God gives us a way to walk so that we're like Jesus. But it should make us very happy because it's a privilege to be called to love. It's, it's a great privilege. Loving is what God does. Why do you think the psalmist is so excited? Because he loves to be beaten over the head with what to do when he's failing at it? Is that, is that why he's praising God over and over again? No. Now the reason is that he loves God. He wants to be like God. Thinking about becoming like God makes him happy. But it often doesn't make us happy. It should make us happy. He ends at what I just read. So that was the first eight verses of Psalm 119. I shall keep your statutes, your laws, your commandments. Don't forsake me utterly. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. And that's, that's something, that's kind of like the way Peter ends the passage that we're reading. <clears throat> so verse 11 says, For in this way, if you practice these things, right, in this way, the entrance, the, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So the psalmist says, don't forsake me utterly. And Peter says, if you do this stuff, you'll enter heaven. Think of the, think of the if, right? Think of the if. Think of the warning in here. The warning, the warning of this, this passage and the warning of the rest of 2 Peter is that in the warning of a lot of Psalm 119 is that if you're not obeying God, God doesn't know you. If you don't obey God, you don't belong to God. If you don't obey God, God's not fooled because you come to church and you sing really good hymns like the one we sang. And you sing about God's mercy. He's not fooled by you. He knows your heart. Um, another verse in Psalm 119 says, <clears throat> You've rejected all of those who go astray from your commandments. Because their deceitfulness is in vain. You can't deceive God. You can't deceive God. You can't think, 
if I don't have my heart set on being diligent to obey God, I'm still going to enter heaven because it's all God's grace. God forgave me and God called me and God drew me and it's his grace. And if I don't obey him, big deal. Big deal. I know what the truth is. I know that when I put my faith in Christ, it's not about my obedience. When I'm justified, it's by grace, right? It's by grace. So I'm not concerned that I don't want to obey God and that I don't love his law. I'm not bothered because I'm still going to heaven. I know what the Bible says. No, sorry, that's not what the Bible says. God is not deceived. If you're a Christian, you're only a Christian because God made you a Christian. And God called you and God gave you the gift of faith. And he paid for your sins and washed you clean and purified you. That's the only reason you're a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you have to be fruitful or he won't let you into heaven. What does Jesus say when he's judging the sheep and the goats? He says to the sheep, you did what I told you to do. And he says to the goats, you didn't. You get over here. You're not entering my heaven. You're not coming into my eternal kingdom. You're not. I said... Feed the hungry. I said, help the sick, visit those in prison. You said, no. You said, no, I'm saved by grace. Right? And then Jesus says to the sheep, you did what I told you. You cared about people and you showed mercy and you weren't ashamed of me. You testified about me before men. Look, none of us likes to hold on to this. You don't like it. The more you think about it, (laughs) the less you like having to hold on to. On the one hand, this is all a gift from God. And on the other hand, if you're not fruitful, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You don't get to have only one or the other, and we would like to. If it was just all by our own works and just the best effort we could have, okay, that's fine. That's one thing, because that's something we can bring to God. And if it's all just by his grace in a way that doesn't require us to obey God, that's fine too, because that's easy. That's simple. And God never lets us have only one or the other. He always says, God saved you. I saved you. I made you my own. You know Jesus now. And now, you have to be fruitful. You have to prove who you are. You have to be, I made you a fig tree. Guess what fig trees do? They they produce figs. Figs are really great. I don't know if figs can grow around here or not. Probably not. But apples, what is it that we have in Indiana? What's the other thing? The more exotic fruit. You can't think. It's not quince. There's a kind of paste that you make from it here. It's the little orange. (laughs) I can't remember. The little orange fruits in the grocery store. You get them at a certain season of the year. They're not like (laughs) peaches. There we go. Thank you. Okay, if you're a persimmon tree, you, you make persimmons. That's what you do. God didn't make us to be fruitless trees who say, oh, I know Jesus and I love Jesus and I'm not going to produce persimmons because that just doesn't matter. What God says is, do you want to enter heaven? Do you want to enter heaven or not? You have to produce fruit. You don't have an option.
Well, here you are. At the end of this passage, um, hold all of these things, oops, hold all of these things in your heart. Hold in your heart the promises of God and don't take them for granted. Hold in your heart what you have, the love you share with one another, and don't take it for granted. Think of the grace of God as the reason, the motivation you have to enter his eternal kingdom. There's not another way to have more grace and peace. The last thing I want to say is, um, in Jesus... Your heart is set free to love what he commands you to do. You don't have to worry that you're going to undermine God's promises, right? If you put your heart completely on obeying these things, if you have the humble attitude, I will be diligent. You don't have to aim. You don't have to aim low. You're commanded to aim high. When Jesus says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, on the one hand, that's ridiculous because you're not and you can't be. Not until you enter glory. On the other hand, that is a reasonable thing to put in your heart. I want to be perfect as my Father is perfect. I want to keep all of these things that God told me to keep. I want to set my heart on that. It's okay. Set your heart on that. Set your heart on it. You'll sin and you'll fail and you'll stumble and you'll come back to be washed clean of your sins again. But put your heart on it. Let's pray.